This is firefighter Raphael Poirier for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase. Welcome to the Todd Barry Podcast. It's been a little while. I was on a cruise, a comedy cruise, with a bunch of comedians. Uh, pretty interesting experience. If I were a better host, I would be telling you about it right now, but I'm not going to. Because uh, I don't know how to do that. I never do the long intros. Or maybe I said that last episode. Anyway, I'm here with my old friend David Reese. Thank you for having me. Host of Going Deep on Nat Geo. Yes, exactly. Monday nights. Monday nights. Yep. Um, that's cool to have a Nat Geo show. You know, it was it worked out really well. We pitched a bunch of networks, and then Nat Geo was super enthusiastic and said we could do what we wanted. And I think being on Nat Geo meant that we got access to labs and scientists that maybe we wouldn't have if we had been on like a more quirky network. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So... What, uh, when did we met at, was it Luna Lounge or was it Rafifi? I feel like I met you back in the Rafifi, invite them up days when Eugene and Bobby had that show at Rafifi. Yeah, there was this great show at Rafifi, which probably a lot of you know about, but some of you don't, but it was this bar in the East Village that had this back room with a stage and God, that show was good. It was always super crowded and it was, there was people doing all kinds of weird things and I was a cartoonist at the time and... I think Eugene had seen me at the Aspen Comedy Festival and said, if I ever wanted to do stuff at Rafifi, I should do it. So, so you don't consider yourself a cartoonist anymore? I don't, I don't cartoon anymore. Okay. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This is a big bombshell. This is an exclusive. <laughs> this is exclusive. I have, not, I have not made my political cartoon uh, in six years. This Maybe is a I'll bombshell. Quit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I quit, I quit when Bush left office. Maybe I'll quit podcasting today and it'll no, be a double do whammy. Well, I quit because I was burnt out and the subject matter was very depressing, the war on terror. Right. You don't seem burnt out. Uh, that's that's my gift, is not seeming burnt out when I am. <laughs> that's, that's, something that's good. Different. Yeah, that's a good gift. So did you... Um, you were doing what were you doing at Rafifi? You were, you would would you read the cartoons? I've... I had an old overhead transparency projector that I would haul around with me. And I would print out the comics on transparency sheets and read them. Or maybe I would do like special, like make special things just for Rafifi, like weird online ads that you could look at on the projector. I mean, they were very supportive. I never did very well. And a couple of times I tried, honest to goodness, stand-up comedy. Did you really just went, I mean, it's been a long time. Yeah. I forgot. No, this was back in, I don't know, 2004, 2005. It was a long time ago. I did, I did a big stand-up comedy routine about the alphabet song and how melancholy the melody of the alphabet song is really yeah i did that one time did you see it no that means you could sell that shit yeah it was good i probably did see it but well i was very i mean most of the stuff i did like i was really into Stuart lee do you know that british yeah, comedian Stuart lee. Yeah, yeah he's really good a really nice guy uh and 
one of my favorite comedians. Let's yeah. say my favorite British comedian. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Right. I see what you're doing there. And, uh, you know, his style is very, very deadpan and very dark. Yeah, people you know? say he's the, the British Todd Berry. <laughs> he's the British Todd Berry. Exactly. I don't know if they actually say that, but I've sort of been compared to him, which is an honor because he's very good. No, he's, yeah, he's incredible. And also he does this thing where he will just bludgeon you with repetitive, like he will really test the audience's patience for like repeating phrases or, you That's know. probably why they say he's like me. No, no, I feel like he's, I feel like it's darker or it's more, I mean, he's a very friendly guy, but it feels kind of more confrontational or like he's testing the audience. Yeah. And he's been doing stand-up comedy for, I don't know, at least 20 years. Yeah. And I would go up at Rafifi and try to do that stuff, like, literally within four weeks of deciding I wanted to try stand-up comedy and did not go up. See, you you lucked out. You had this great platform to start your comedy career. To fail from. People would kill to go on Rafifi. I'm sure there are a lot of, yeah. How did you learn about Stuart Lee? Uh, I met him at the Aspen Comedy Festival. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I was saw I there that year? I don't think so. This was right after Bush was reelected, so it was probably January of 2005. Was that still going on then, the festival? It was. I think it was one of the last years. Yeah. So I saw him do a late night set, and I had never... That's one of those moments where it's like, oh, I didn't know this. you could do this in stand-up comedy. You know, people walking out... I mean, he was doing a whole routine about the 9-11 attacks that was very dark and, you know, almost suggested that he didn't take them seriously. Like, it was pretty... Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, he did, obviously. Yeah. He, you know, he has a he conscience. He was making a point. Yeah, he was making a point. But it was very... It was riveting. You know, it was very exciting. And he had some walkouts? He had a guy who walked out, like, maybe within two minutes of him starting. And he's not like a screaming Sam Kinison, like, right. I'm going to offend you, like, over-the-top kind of guy. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it was exciting. Yeah, Aspen audiences, I hate to generalize about any city, but something about that place. Aspen's the only place I've ever (laughs) been. I'd never been to Aspen before. Uh And that was the only place where I've seen grown men walking around in like full length fur coats. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't, it's probably not the place I would go back to unless they offered me any money, then I would do it. (laughs) And as I was going, like I'm taking this big standing it because I try. I, I did have good shows there, but there was something about the Richie vibe there. There's certain and, rich people I can deal with, not and, necessarily the ones there. And I was also told by people who were probably trying to explain why nobody laughed at me. They're like, "Don't worry, it's all just showbiz executives. Like they don't laugh. They're just there to find the new." That is true. You know. Um, have you ever? But have you had people laugh at you there? Yeah, I, I, okay. I've. I knew I've had good shows, me. but I'm sure I've, I remember. Doing a two-man show with this guy, Jonathan Groff, not the actor, but former Conan head writer. And there were people, like, I think putting their feet on the stage and stuff. It was just like... Really? I mean, it was a semi-theatrical piece. It wasn't hoity-toity, but it was just like... They just seemed very... Entitled? Didn't know what they were in for. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So was that the only comedy festival you've done? Or? I think so, yeah. I've been on a something like a comedy cruise. I've been on Jonathan Colton's cruise. Yeah, I've heard about which this. which has comedians and musicians. Yeah, that's and like sort of, I was on the Atlantic comedy, the Maximum. That's Fun the cruise. Jesse Thorne cruise. Jesse yeah, Thorne right. One, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are the two leading comedy cruises right Those now. Those are the two. If they ever meet in the Atlantic cruise, Ocean. Yeah. It's gonna if you're be a looking lot for of people uh, who you don't expect to see on cruise ships, those are the one, two, one and two. Yeah, definitely. How many? That was like a week, right? He's done it, I think, four times, and I think it's each time it's about a week. Yeah, that's long. Mine was three nights. Four Three nights, nights is good. I mean, hotel, I uh, I think universally the experience on the Jonathan Colton cruise is by the last night, you're kind of like, okay, 
it's time to get off the boat. Yeah, I was very. I left very confused of like, oh, no, this I am not meant for cruise ships. And then, right. then going online and going to cruise dot com to see, like, I wonder how much those things cost. Well, you're really into. I know that you're into your frequent flyer miles and yeah. stuff like that. I actually brought some. Well, I want to talk about that later. But are you going to get obsessed with like becoming like a member of like the Holland America Ambassador Club and stuff? No, like that, that I didn't join. That was okay. one thing. Usually, I'll join like any hotel. <laughs> like it's a hotel I never heard of. Like, oh, yeah, rewards, rewards program. Hey, you never know. Because yeah. sometimes there's like they add up, and I've gotten free hotel ho- hotels from really obscure, uh, relatively obscure rewards programs. But we can get into that later. All right. You have a TV show. How, do you want me to describe? I've watched two episodes of it. Oh, okay. You Thank you. sent me, what, three, right? I sent you three. I th- yeah. I want play cool by only watching two. No, I really appreciate that. Thank which you. Which is two more than any podcast host would have watched. No. <laughs> Anyone else would have been like, yeah, I'm, I'll just dive in. Which this. episodes did you watch? I watched the Ice one. Okay. And the today, this morning, I watched the Shoelace one. Mm, and um, With Professor Shoelace. Right. That guy was amazing. Yeah. he. W- I was so happy to finally meet him. You'd heard about him. Oh yeah, that was a big that was a big part of the appeal for me of getting the TV deal was that I would be able to meet him because I knew I wanted to do an episode on how to tie your shoes and I had been tracking him online for a couple years and I was like I don't care if this means we can't fly anybody else in we got to bring him over from Australia. Yeah, that was one thing is getting back to the frequent flyer thing was like <laughs> like you oh this who would ever think that being a shoelace expert would get you a t- would how'd you fly in business class? Oh, I don't know. I feel like the shoelace guy is probably, I'm fine in coach. I know that he <laughs> paid for his own additional ticket so his wife could come with him. Right. Because they hadn't been to America in years and years. And he has a brother who lives in Jersey. What does he do for a living? He is a um, web, uh, I think he's a web programmer or uh, web designer. The shoelaces thing is just a hobby. It's not, it's it's not, not a career? It's not his career. His name is Ian Fegan and his website, Ian Shoelace site, is like the world's definitive website about Nodding techniques and lacing techniques. I watched a TED talk maybe a year ago about some guy who said, you're tying your shoes wrong. And it was like a two minute TED talk. Do you think it was him? No, I don't think it was oh, him. Okay. It was not an Australian guy. Um, but I was like watching this. I was like, oh, yeah, because my shoes laces kept coming undone. I was like, oh, I should watch this. I should watch this. And I go, why am I not getting... And I go, oh, that is the way I already tie my shoes. Oh, really? Yeah. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I did it wrong. Well, if you have a balanced shoelace knot... A double slippery reef knot, which is the technical term, that's how a sailor would describe a shoelace knot. The more tension that's put on it, the stronger it should become. That's the hallmark of a balanced knot. You're looking at my shoelace right I now. I am looking at it. Are those the same shoes from that uh, from the episode? No, I bought these shoes uh, when I right before I went to Los Angeles a couple weeks ago for the TV Critics Association thing. I felt like I needed some new shoes. How was that? Uh, it was interesting, you know, I had, ne- it was a little bit like the Aspen vibe because it's, it's a big hotel conference room and it's just a room full of TV critics who are live tweeting and blogging and judging you as just, it's just all day for two and a half weeks networks presenting their new shows. Right. Um, so it was a tough room. Uh, we had, I think 10 minutes, we showed a little teaser of the show and then I taught them all how to make, how to fold this particular paper airplane uh-huh. that, that we're doing. We have an episode coming up, uh, called How to Throw a Paper Airplane. And we met the Professor Shoelace of Paper Airplanes, basically. <laughs> the guy who designed the airplane that set the world record for distance. Man. 226 feet, 10 inches. Which, when you think about it, is a crazy long distance for a paper airplane. Yeah, that's um, that's almost a football field. It is it? almost a football field. It's more than a basketball court. I hope you use the football field 
point of reference in your show. We didn't, but we can correct. We still time to correct that. In America, yeah. that we use that for everything. Yeah, as big as a football field. Exactly. My it's apartment. about one eighth the size of a football field. My apartment, not nearly the size of a football field. Right. Although, if you measure by width, yeah, it, yeah, it yeah. might be as wide as a football field. Did you? Um, so, how do you describe the show? I mean, I could probably take a stab at it, but how would you? How do you? You go first. I would just say that you. Everyday things are that seem that aren't complicated are actually much more complicated. That's great. Yeah, we, that, I know, say smoother than that. I say it's a how-to show that teaches you the best way to do the things you think you know how to do. So, like for the shoelace episode, we talk about the proper structure of knots, the best type of material for shoelaces, and then Ian Fegan taught me the Ian knot, which is the f- which is a faster way. of Yeah, I saw that. Knot. I tried to memorize that, but it, I think it took I, me two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I think uh, that's that's probably where I would be like, all right, I'll because I'm you set have my to, way is not wise. You have to relearn decades and decades of of muscle memory, and decades and decades of cultural assumptions about the proper construction of a shoelace. It's pretty fascinating that the guy is interested in this to begin with so much. Well, that's there is that. But that's one of the great things about the show is that we find these people who are just obsessed with, which I can relate to, you know, people who get really, really obsessed with very particular things. Right. And then when you reach out to them, a lot of times they're like super enthusiastic, like, yes, I've been waiting for this call. Yeah, that would be weird if the shoelace guy didn't do interviews. He's like, right. no, <laughs> I'm kind of proud. I don't like to talk about my art. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Now, you said in the thing, you don't like pedicures. That's a new thing I've been getting. Is it Is that another they, bombshell? That's not a bombshell. Like occasionally I'll get one because my feet get... Oh, really? Wrinkly. Yeah. Do they... Is it just the grossness, like the sanitary Well, I've only, I've only had pedicures... On mainland China. Uh-huh. So there's that might be one element of it. I went to China years ago with some high school friends, one of whom was studying in, in China and spoke Chinese. And um, we went to get foot, I guess, foot rubs, foot uh-huh. massages. And I, I found, first of all, I'm very self-conscious about my feet. I have really long spindly toes and I have flat feet. And, you know, there's always like a blister or something on them because I live, I run hard. I know summer. you do. <laughs> And, uh, but the other thing was just the, the, and maybe this was because it was Chinese women who did not speak English. The power dynamic made me a little uncomfortable that this person was literally sitting at my feet, touching my feet, you know, like yeah. maybe if it was a, a white Westerner like myself who went to Barnard or something. And so I knew we were social equals, then I would feel more comfortable with it. But I once had one of the best ones I ever had. I was working with, uh, Louis CK and we stayed at a fancy hotel in Dallas and there was like a hundred dollar credit at the hotel. Oh yeah. And I was like, oh, I need something. Spending to do. this all on my feet. Yeah, I spent like seventy. And this woman was like, gave me peach iced tea. Like, really? You want some peach iced tea? Yes, I do. That was unbelievable. How long? What was it? A massage? It was about fifty minutes of whatever. Just they always seem to have another layer of stuff that they can put on your feet. Oh, so they're putting like. They're lotions, lotions and, and potions pol- and yeah, yeah. on there. Oh, I don't think we had that. I think they were just. Like rubbing, and then they would do this thing where they would kind of like tap the 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 I guess you would say the end of your toenail, uh-huh. like kind of tap their fingernails in between your toenail and your toe. I didn't know, kind of like to stimulate oh. your toenail. Do you know you what know, I'm talking about? Because I had a foot massage in Chinatown recently. Okay, which I have a new bit about, but I'm not going to go into okay. it. But yeah, they did this thing where they sort of snapped your toe. Is that what you're talking about? Where they kind of pinched it and went. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, exactly. That was like uh, I remember it being like. 
getting nipped at. You know how there's this new foot massage, or maybe it's probably not new, it's probably 5,000 years old, where they put your <laughs> foot in a bucket of fish, no. and, the, and the fish just eat your dead skin? That sounds that's a, that's a, possibly fun or not fun. Yeah, it, I think it's the it must be the human equivalent. If you don't have fish handy, the the I was going to say podiatrist, the the masseuse uh-huh. kind of imitates that same kind of nipping thing, which I guess is stimulating and also sloughs off. It hurt though. I remember oh, it hurting. Yeah, I remember it going. Let's. I don't know. I guess this is doing something. Yeah, but it's also one of the things it's doing is hurting me. <laughs> Amongst the many things it's doing, the one I'm focusing on is, is that the it's pain hurting me. That you're paying for I someone have to hurt ridiculous you. flat, super flat feet. Like I wish I could show them on a podcast. I'm sure there's a way of doing that. Someone will invent that. But I noticed you uh, that you went to a podiatrist in the the episode, and he said you had a bunion, or you had a beginning as a bunion. He said that he said I had the beginnings of a bunion. The yeah. one and only surgery I've had in my life. Was you had bunion surgery when I was 20 years old. It's called a bunionectomy. Yeah. I had How did you have like a bunion tw- when you were 20? I don't know. It could be those flat feet. But I, I had like a relative, a cousin who was a podiatrist. So he, I think he gave me a little bit of a deal. But yeah, I had a bunionectomy. Wait, you were 20 and it, your cousin did the operation? Not like my 11-year-old cousin. Oh. Or like <laughs> not he, even your 20-year-old was, co- I mean, an older cousin, you mean? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like a, He was a full-fledged podiatrist, yeah. <laughs> okay, it was a full-on doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> I didn't go to my guy's friend's garage or something. And he's just like, trust me, I know how to do bunionectomies. But did, was it on 11, both feet or just one? Just one. But I had to have crutches, I think. Oh, and really? I, yeah, it was a healing problem. It was a long time ago. But yeah, bunions are weird. I do remember walking around going, I don't know anyone who's got a bunionectomy. You will in another 20 years. Right. I Everyone like, will be coming to you for advice. I mean, I got reading glasses at the appropriate mid-40s time. Right. Bunionectomy. I guess I got it out of the way, though, right? It's like your wisdom teeth. It's fun when you go to the doctor and they're like, oh, have you had any surgery? Bunionectomy. <laughs> they're like, get out of here. <laughs> you with your feet? No way. Early 80s, maybe late 70s, bunionectomy. That is, that's tough. I still haven't had surgery. Knock on wood. Really? Never? Wisdom teeth, but I don't think that counts. No. Right? No, I don't think so. No. Although, I am worried, today more than usually, I think that when we were filming this show, I think I fractured my hand. Yeah? Yeah. Well, definitely you should be at my podcast. If you've got a... For a diagnosis, right? No, I mean, I would go to my podcast, and then if you need want to go to the hospital, if you have any time... No, I mean, it's not... It's. I don't think it's... It's not broken, broken. Like I have full range of motion and I've been swimming and riding my bike. But I noticed that when I'm done riding my bike, it hurts a little. And it... we did an episode on how to shake hands. And we went to Salt Lake City to meet with an anatomist who had a bunch of cadaver arms to talk about the musculature and right. lig- ligaments in the in the hand. And, and then his associate was doing research on the evolution of the human fist and why hands are ideal for fist making and why a handshake, you're literally disarming yourself. You're showing that you are not going to strike somebody. Oh, is that where it comes from? I mean, there's a lot of theories about it. Um, and he had a, a, you know, a heavy bag, like a boxing ring, like a training bag uh-huh. that he had an accelerometer hooked up to, to prove that you can generate much more force with a closed fist than you can with a slap. And so he asked me to test this. And one of the tests was <laughs> slap the bag as hard as you can. I was like, I'm really going to do this. It's going to be great TV. And I did it and it really, really hurt. And now it's been I don't know, six weeks and it still kind of hurts and I'm feeling like it might be time to go get an x-ray. Yeah, go get an x-ray. Yeah. I have a cousin. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I have a cousin. He's 19. He's a hand expert. Feet and f- feet and hands, that's what he does. Bunionectomies and handectomies. And he's, <laughs> it's a different cousin, actually. The um, 
You had the ice episode also, which I enjoyed. Thank you. It was crazy that there were not, and you, you didn't find just, you found like more than one ice expert. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. You had the, like the lake ice guy. The guy up in Maine, he was great. The traditional way of harvesting blocks of ice, which back in the day was the only way to get ice. You had to go out and find it. You couldn't make it. What inspired the, was it, did you go to a speakeasy that inspired you? Oh, I mean, because of the fancy ice cubes? Yeah. I had been to a couple fancy bars where I saw big oversized ice cubes. and I remember. The, yeah, that was like a thing a year, a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A single, like if you order a, a whiskey and they give you, instead of a bunch of little ice cubes, they give you one huge dead clear ice cube that cools the drink without watering it down because it melts more slowly. Right. Because it doesn't have impurities in it. And, and it looks good. Yeah, and it looks it looks great. And my freezer ice is really gross. It's like kind of crescent shaped and it looks all yeah, milky yeah. you know what i'm talking it's about like ice maker ice yeah exactly and the, what's really pathetic is my ice maker is actually broken so i have to reach into the bin and harvest the ice cubes by hand but it makes them automatically yeah it makes them automatically. i actually have an ice maker in my my refrigerator but i just bought trays because then i got home and i go oh i have an ice maker but how much ice am i using are they easy to use ice makers well, you you know, if it's a properly functioning ice maker, <laughs> yeah. you just put your glass in. And oh, you have triggers. that? You have an in-the-door thing. Yeah, that's what I'm oh, talking about. You, you don't have that? Oh, no, I live in Manhattan. You live in upstate. Or right. Something. <laughs> Wait, you're saying we have better refrigerators? I find that hard to believe. That's a very, like, suburban or oh, right. rich person's. I'm not saying you're a rich person, but that wouldn't be bad if you were. I hope you are. <laughs> I'm just, I guess what I'm saying is I don't have this refrigerator. Okay. Uh, this I isn't, I, I want to really emphasize, lest people get the wrong idea. As a former left-wing cartoonist, this is not a nice refrigerator. <laughs> it's like a vinyl, you know, the vinyl-covered, yeah, stained-up. Like, it's like an original Maytag. I think it's a Frigidaire. It's like brown. You got it at a... Um, you came with it, the house. Got it at Housing house. Works. Yeah. <laughs> <Thrift> <laughs> it, no, I took it up on the commuter line from Housing Works. $70, Housing Works. Exactly. Just happened to have an ice maker. Wow. Did you... Um, what was I going to ask you about the ice? The uh, How do you find these guys? We have researchers and producers who we figure out the topic. We make sure that it sounds like there's nothing to learn about it because that's the challenge, you know, right. and the criteria for knowing we have a good topic, like how to open a door. And then we just go crazy and start calling people, doing Internet research, getting leads. You know, we want a mix of like amateur enthusiasts and like scientific professionals and people who are into the idea and understand that the show is not just a huge goof, you know. Have you ever had a topic where you're like, oh, my God, we can't find enough people to talk about this? We, yeah. I mean, when we went out to pitch it, my friends and I, we had a list of 100 topics. And, uh, you know, obviously, when we were in pre-production last summer, we had to start whittling away the topics. Uh huh. Some of them we got rid of because we couldn't find experts. Some of them just seemed like it would be too much of a hard sell, you know, for a new series. Um, and then a lot of it just came down to really honestly, what did I actually in real life want to learn about, you know, like climbing trees. I've always really wanted to be good at climbing trees. So we did how to climb a tree that's coming up. I've probably climbed one tree in my life. Maybe. Right. See, when I was growing up, I grew up in North Carolina and my parents had this big magnolia in the front yard and I was never allowed to climb it. And I always really wanted to climb it. And I felt like I didn't have this like authentic American childhood experience of climbing trees, right? So I was like, let's do it so I can really climb trees and just have fun. Uh, and then at the episode, we fly home to North Carolina to that tree and my parents sit and I make them watch me climb the tree. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was fun. That's great. So climbing trees, I just wanted to do it. Um, 
And if we get to make more, I really want to do how to jump into water because I love rope swings. Do you ever do rope swings or cliff diving? I haven't. I don't think I've done cliff diving. Well, I mean, I'm saying cliff diving. I don't mean like, you know what I mean? Like jumping off a rock oh. into a lake or something. <laughs> I, I was know. kind of upselling the... Well, in, that's, in that case, I have done cliff diving. <laughs> You've taken a bath, right? That's cliff diving. You yeah. brush your teeth yesterday? Yeah, yeah. That was, um, that was, that's cliff diving. You got it. That's funny if you started calling everything cliff diving. Oh, it's, it's, it's close enough where I call it cliff diving. Right, exactly. Brushing your hair. You've done cliff diving, right? Like you, you do own pajamas. Did um, I know what I want to ask. The uh, you live upstate, and I did a show up there once. That's right at our at the auction hall, Hudson Valley Auctioneers. That was fun. Right, I remember you gave me fifty dollars more than you told me you were going to get me. I was excited to have you because you were the biggest. That's how you ended up on my podcast. <laughs> I was like, stuff that's like how, that that's sticks how showbiz with me. works. That sticks with me. I think you were the biggest person we. Know. I mean, we had a lot of great people. You know, we got a lot of. I was in, I was impressed and really happy with how. Many people agreed to do it, and how many people were like, that was really fun. You know, like we had Tom Shalhoub, Andrea Rosen, Max Silvestri, you, Hodgman. I mean, a bunch of people made the trip. It was fun. You still live up there, right? I still do, yeah. But we don't do the comedy shows anymore. Why not? Well, we had our 20th show last summer, and we decided, Sam, my co-host and I, we decided to do a greatest hits, like totally self-indulgent, no out-of-town guests. We just did all these local, you know, bit comedy bits about things in our town that people liked. And then we decided, like, that's it. 20 is enough. He was writing a book. He's, he's, he's a writer for the New York Times. He had a book deal. And I was about to start production on the TV show. So you're we like, let's be done. But then uh, about three weeks ago, we did a special, like, preview of my TV show. Because we filmed it in Beacon. Like, we shot the show in my actual house. Oh, you did? Yeah. And it involves a lot of Beacon experts. We tried to get local people. So just the shots where you're talking to the camera, that's in your house? That's in my living room. Yeah. Was was that just because you wanted to not leave your house? Well, that became like that became like a bonus element of it. Initially, I had wanted a set, and they said the set is really really expensive. And when I drew, when I drew the set that I imagined, my friend was like, "That kind of just looks like your living room," you know. So they they said that they said, "Why don't we shoot it in your house the way Martha Stewart actually shoots in her actual house?" Mm-hmm. So we painted it, and they installed lights in the ceiling, and. It was crazy because at the time I had a I had a housemate, so there was no there was no place to hang out at the end of the day except in my little tiny bedroom, which is like the size of your recording studio here. Like, it was yeah, I have a recording crazy. studio. Well, I don't know what you. <laughs> no, I like that. Let's know. go with that. Right. Yeah, my home studio. Your podcast antechamber. So it was it was the days when we shot in my house were great because I had to wake up two hours later than everybody else because the crew nice. would be driving up. Yeah. And it meant that, like, if we needed a prop or something, I would just, like, we needed a wooden spoon. Someone didn't have to run to Walmart and buy a wooden spoon. I'd be like, I'll be right back. And then I feel come like back it must be me. a union thing. Like, I know if you wear your own clothes on, like, a SAG movie, you get paid a little extra. I got a location fee. Did you? Yeah, $500,000. Oh. Holy shit. Yeah. Plus a $10,000 spoon. And they bought me, a, they should have bought me an extra house to live in when they were oh shooting. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, it wasn't like that. What's it like living up there? It's nice, especially this time of year. A lot of musician type people, right? Or There's no? a lot of you mean in in my town, Beacon. Yeah. There's musicians. Uh, I mean, the musicians that I know who live up there live further north. Like uh, you know, Carl. Carl Newman. Yeah. Yeah. He lives up uh, north of me, uh, and Jeff Mangum. You know him, Neutral Milk oh, Hotel. Yeah. He lives up there, further north. Our town has a lot of writers, a lot of artists, a lot of photo editors. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I've never seen such a concentration of photo editors. <laughs> Something I don't know what it is. That'd be funny to just go to like the supermarkets, like 
I got the photo editor over by the eggs. Photo editor. No, totally. There's a there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. It's a lot of people who started out in the city. I mean, they didn't. They weren't born in the city, but you know, they moved to the city after college, and then they get married or have a kid or decide they want space, outdoor space. And then when I moved up there, the reason I moved was Beacon was the was the closest I could be to the city on the train that was still affordable. You didn't want to live in this. Did you ever live in the city? I lived oh, in Brooklyn. Lived in Brooklyn I lived right? in Brooklyn from 2000 to 2005. Yeah, that's when I was doing Rafifi. That's when I was killing at Rafifi every. When you're killing, and then you just wanted more space. Yeah, you wanted a house. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in Beacon doing your show, walking around. I went to a coffee shop and I saw a sign up for a. It was a, what? What kind of band was it? That was my flyer. right. I think I yeah. found out afterwards yeah. that it was your right. We well, talked about it. That was my big unrealized musical dream. It was this band. It was going to be called Katie Flaggy. That's right. <laughs> and it was going to be Black Flag Music and then Katy Perry. It was going to be live mashups of Katy Perry and Black Flag. And it was called, what was it called? Katie Flaggy. <laughs> and it was the Black Flag bar logo, but bright pink. I remember seeing that. And I took a picture of it and I think I posted it. You posted on social media and somebody sent me because. I think I asked you, didn't I? I think I sent you an email saying this. How, I was thinking of posting this. But it has your phone number on it. Do you care? I did not get that email. No, but somebody I feel like we had it at least. An exchange. You showed me that you had. You showed me the flyer, I think, and I was like, "Oh, that's my band. I'm trying to get started." And you were like, "Okay." And then I got a text the next day from somebody. This is back before I had a smartphone. So every time I got a text, it was like fifty cents. I was like, Ugh, oh "Who texts me?" And it said, "Please just don't do it." I'm gonna dig up this don't email. Don't do Katie I Flaggy. Like I, I feel like I asked you. How cool would that be if I dug up this, found this email right now? I would feel you would, yeah, you would be crushing me right now because um, I don't, I don't remember giving my consent, but not that I care. I mean, I had a flyer up in a public place. Of course, I wanted people to call, you know. But you should let your listeners know that number no longer works. That's for my old <laughs> Verizon flip phone, which I don't use anymore. Um, well, that's cool. Did you get many? Did you how how um did you get many inquiries? No. <laughs> I remember getting it. didn't it, really it, take off. It got a good response though, at least when I posted it. Well, I used to play I used to play drums in high school and we used to play kind of like black flaggy type music. So I thought, "Oh, it'd be fun to play drums again. You know, this would be like a fun party band, you uh -huh. know, because I tested out a lot of the songs. Like you can do it. Like if you if you play uh Six Pack by Black Flag, it kind of syncs up. You can sync it up with Hot and Cold by Katy Perry. So you know your Katy Perry music. I do, yeah. I mean, you weren't just like, hey, Katy Perry's popular. I'm, I'm I wasn't like this cynical thing of like, what are the kids listening to? Come on, somebody tell me. <laughs> they like some lady named Katy Perry. Great. Put I'm, it with Black Flag. I'm actually looking over these old emails from you. And uh, got to say, I haven't found that. Mm -hmm. But you came to see me in Albany. That's right. In <laughs> fact, you want to know something? Have we ever talked about this? That was the night that Sam and I decided to start a kind of we were driving up to no we were driving home from that show it was you and louis ck at the egg right in albany and you very kindly uh i think you gave me free tickets i did yeah, yeah that was not nice. I, I appreciate that i and i probably do have the email for that <laughs> and uh on the drive home we started talking about starting a comedy research group where the Every month, we would pick a comedian, listen to his or her canonical works, and then analyze them. We treated it like a book club. We really did this. 
And that's when we decided eventually to try to start performing comedy together because we got really interested in like two man comedy. So we, it was called Beacon Comedy Research Group. And we actually were going to write a book about stand up comedy. Really? And then we both, because we came up with a, I guess I can talk about this because I have a feeling we're not going to write the book. We came up with a comprehensive structural analysis of stand up comedy. And our thought was that stand-up comedy is at the point that film used to be at, which is that in 10 years, you'll there, there will be people will analyze it in like a really systematic way and like the undergraduate level, right? Uh-huh. And we wanted to write the textbook that would just be used forever. Like it would never go out of print, you know what I mean? And it was that show, driving home from that show where we were comparing and contrasting you and, and Louis C.K.'s comedy that put the inkling of this structural, this kind of structuralist approach to comedy in our minds. So that was actually a very fun and important night for us. Well, that's good. I'm glad you got it for free. <laughs> that couldn't have been a cheap ticket at the Egg. That's a cool place, that Egg. It's a nice venue. Why were you in Albany? Did you just answer that already or no? I was in Al- No, we drove up from Beacon. Oh, is that close? Yeah. Albany's one of the cities that it's either, it could, if you told me it was 11 hours away, I'd go, yeah, it's probably 11 No, hours. for us, it's like 80, 90 minutes. Really? Oh, yeah. that's... Totally worth it. Yeah, right? Did and you... also it's fun, you know, like to go see somebody that you kind of know from the city in a new environment, I always find very fun, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's because you seem, in, yeah, especially one that's dramatically different from uh, from what you're used to seeing. Right. And you did that show at Luca Lounge. I'm looking at these old emails. I did a show oh, at Luca Lounge? Yeah. On Avenue oh, oh, my show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lollygagging. Yeah. Yeah, that was my... Sh- I tried a monthly... Hosting a monthly comedy show. I actually really, really liked that experience. It was really fun. Yeah, you did that too. This, you told me not to tell anyone you were coming. Yeah. Right. I, it's because I don't want to cause a, f- a frenzy. No, I appreciate that. And it seemed to work. Yeah. <laughs> it was a very understated, intimate... Show. I feel like I'm finding an email here where I where I was bailing on you because there was lightning. Do you remember this? Yes, said, that sorry. was at the Lollygagging show. Yeah, I don't know if I promised to come or I said I'd come by, but I said I made an attempt to come again an hour later, but it started storming again. I'm scared of lightning. I'll make it up to you. Is lightning an issue for you? Yeah, then I you, dated someone who had a phobia that's what you say. of lightning. Here you go. My lady friend is scared of lightning and almost didn't go to the show. I understand. There you see. I'm looking out for you. That's always the best when I tell people about my lightning phobia, and they're and, like, "No, I get it." And I'm like, right. oh, "Okay." The woman I'm dating is scared of lightning, also. Todd, really? you have nothing to be ashamed of. What does she do when she? No, I'm saying this is this is someone I'm no longer with. Oh, okay. Yeah, I could not handle her lightning phobia. Because <laughs> I love lightning. I love lightning. I like storms. A lightning file cannot couple with a lightning phobe. Did you ever encounter lightning with her? There are a couple storms. Uh, she had. In her bedroom, she had a chalkboard wall, you know, where you paint it with chalkboard paint. Uh-huh. And I drew a big chalkboard picture of how she shouldn't be afraid of lightning, but I don't think it helped her. Oh, you drew it? Yeah. To kind of settle her. <laughs> to tr- you know what I mean? She was supposed to just think of the chalk when she's in the store. It's like, yeah. hey, that was it. Like, remember that drawing? What was that like, thing he drew on my bedroom right. wall? Oh, it said yeah. something like, don't be afraid of lightning. It will never hurt you. And it was like a picture of a lightning bolt or something. Well, that's the weird thing about lightning. When you explain it, people go, why are you afraid of it? And like, well, you kind of should be afraid of it. <laughs> it is like, yeah. It's, it's not like I'm afraid of It's a massive supercharge of electricity striking people out what of the blue. What other topics do you, are you working on season two or you're waiting to hear about it? Or? Waiting to hear about it. Yeah. Uh, we had 10 episodes. Well, first we made six episodes, and then when we were done, 
they said, actually, make us four more real quick. So then we went out and made another four. So it's ten. So next Monday night or whenever, on some Monday night, we'll do how to throw a paper airplane, how uh-huh. to light a match, how to climb a tree. And then the season finale is how to shake hands. You know, I was going to suggest a topic. Let's hear it. How to wash your hands. We had a lot of personal cleanliness issues on our list of 100 topics. Yeah. Like how to how to how to bathe yourself i think we did oh that would be good right like shower stuff bath stuff and also all the cultural stuff that goes into bathing a hair stuff i thought would be interesting how to comb your hair yeah because hair is really crazy when you think about it it's really i would know you got you if you grew your hair out you could comb it i gotta say i'm always distracted by how clearly you're never gonna lose your hair oh because it's my 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 mom has really thick hair my mom's hair yeah yeah. Hey, you know, everyone's got their their strengths. I have this one thing going for me. I have a ton of hair. <laughs> do you um so you have the cleanliness ones. So I think you should do that in season 2. We wanted to do something about blowing your nose or picking your nose because mucus is just kind of weird and unsettling but also kind of interesting and that was one of the topics where it was like, yeah, that might be a little gross. Yeah, a little just might be too gross. But that's National Ge- Nat Geo. They have that great show, Taboo. Right. I mean, they do examine a lot of things that you would think wouldn't be talked about. Maybe they're going to ease into it, though. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Because the, the cleanliness stuff's interesting. Because, like, they say, you know, I wash my hands a lot. But then they say you're supposed to do it for, like, two minutes or a minute. I don't know how long you're supposed to. Well, listen to this. Do you wash your hands so often that they become dry? I have. I've had gotten chapped. You have? Yes. So in our episode on how to shake hands, we met with one of the top five hand models in America. Uh-huh. Like she does a lot of the iPhone print ads. Right. And she also does stand-ins for movie actresses in movies when they need a nice shot of the hands. And she has a whole – she wears gloves all the time, first of all, because her hands are worth a ton of money. Right. And she did talk about washing your hands and how your hands age more quickly than any other part of your body. And she said that even though I'm 42, I had the hands of a 62-year-old. She said that to you? Yeah. She said your hand if she said if I I hope you asked her out at that point. <laughs> I said she said if I just knew you by your hands I would say you were 20 years older than you are because your hands are wrecked. And she said washing your hands too often it's bad you have to she has her own line of hand cream, hand lotion. But you can also use I did not know this. You can also use olive oil and sugar crystals to exfoliate your hands if you're on a pinch, if you you know if you're, you don't have your own stuff. <laughs> I love that that's supposed to be easier than soap, right? <laughs> Let's just get some olive oil and sugar crystals. Just, I could just go downstairs by herself. No, no, no. Get that olive oil. If you're ever in, in a situation, like say you're in a kitchen that doesn't have soap. Right. Right. And this isn't for cleaning your hands. This is for exfoliating. Oh, exfoliating. It's a different, you know, different technique. Well, maybe I will. Uh, I think I have some olive oil. I'll steal some sugar packets at a nearby Starbucks. <laughs> I, think you, I think what you need is like the lard, like raw, you know, the that... Sugar in the raw. Where yeah. it's kind of larger crystals, so you can really just get a good scrub. Yeah. Get all that skin off. Kosher salt. Kosher salt might work, yeah. Gravel. <laughs> Olive oil and gravel. You should in, you should interview me for this episode. It's, I know. Next season. What, um... If I was going to interview you for a topic, what do you think you would be the one where you'd be like, I've been waiting for this uh, call, thank uh, well, you. Well, I feel like you were going to ask me about frequent flyer miles. That's true. How to fly in an airplane. <laughs> can I ask you about that really yeah, quick? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, we great. Can bring it home with this. All right. Hold on. Because I, so they, we traveled. Oh, wow, you're taking something out here. We traveled a lot for the show, obviously, yeah. right? And when they would book the flights, I never thought to give them. Oh. So this is my first question. Oh. <laughs> okay. Let's this do is, a mini episode right is, now. This is the one where I get, this is. Okay. This is, you didn't give them your freedom of number? 
I have to say, I thought, and after the after we had the first round of travel, and there was West Coast travel, which I know is good. Yeah, it's all good. And, and I thought, is it, would it be presumptuous for me to be like, hey guys, by the way, here's all my frequent flyer. No, that's part of the deal. And I didn't do it, and it was the whole How season. How long ago was it? Do you so have the, all your... I have Because you can get retroactive. Stuff. So this is my question. You can't get retroactive. I can. It might be six months, though. Okay. So this goes... The earliest one that I saved is... Uh, I think May, and I might have older ones. Oh, May. So you should be all right. So I'm good, right? Yeah. So what do I do? All, you have a... Uh, do you a, have to have a physical paper stub? No. What you can do is you can go online. This is... I like I this. I love this. And you go to the frequent flyer area, and you put in uh, missing miles. It says... Okay. Claim missing miles. So I, I don't even need the so paper you're very ticket. organized. Well, you might need like... I, uh, or I've, I've been saving them chronologically. Oh, the ticket number. Right. Okay. Right. And uh, where are you going? JFK. Alley? That's a good one. Right? Mm, 19A. That doesn't sound like first class. But, no, uh, I've never flown first class. I'll never fly first really? class. Really? I don't want to know what it's like because then when everything falls apart, else. I'll just miss it. I know someone else who says they don't ever want to fly first class. I don't want to have that taste. Because unless they can do it all the time. Right. But you have a, This is Missoula. Oh, who'd you go see in Missoula? In uh, Missoula was the National Forestry Service Fire Lab, where they researched the structure of fire for how to light a match. It's interesting that you didn't put your number in, but knew to save in a very organized fashion every boarding pass that you have. Well, it's because when you would show up at the airport, they usually had the thing printed for me. Yeah. You know? And again, I just felt like... I don't know. It's just one of those things where, you know, I've never made a TV show before and it took me a long time to start asking for things. And I would ask my producer, like, you know, is it okay to ask for a car to take me from the apartment I'm crashing in in Brooklyn to location? Right, exactly. And that's always been, now, of course, 10 episodes in, I'll ask for anything. But also, like, the miles, they're not, there's nothing, it's not like they're going to go, oh, I'm just going to put my number in there and get credit. It's like, it costs them nothing. Yeah, but I felt like maybe it's, maybe it's like too much work to have you, like, oh, where's David's miles? Okay, that's that's a travel agent. That's what they do. Yeah, I guess that's true. So they book a ticket and they go, here's the cho- choices. And you go, hey, here's the airline I like, if you like that, if you want to do that. I can't do that. Yeah, you can. I've never made a TV show. You, I'm, don't I, to, you just be nice about it. Just say, hey, guys. Say, if, hey, if you can get me on a United flight, that'd be great. But, okay, here's my other question for this episode. <laughs> What's the, There's no difference between all these airlines. It's always agonizing. Yeah, do you do it because you have... I think I just sort of got locked into one. And then, okay. I mean, I'm I'm in a few programs. I have a few hundred thousand with a you know with a few. So you can go to the lounge and no, I can't see. That's the thing. Oh. It's like you can't go to the lounge unless you either buy a membership or if you have a first class ticket that was booked for you. Okay. I don't know if it's just international even, but even like a I think a business class ticket won't get you in that lounge. Really? Have you been in one of those lounges? Never. Again, I don't even. This would want, be a great topic. I don't want to have a taste. <laughs> it would be a, like a good episode to finally go in one of those lounges for the first time and just talk to the people and see like how they do it. Yeah, and also yeah, talk to cuz some of the like even though I seem to talk about it a lot and I guess I do, there's people who are way beyond me as far as they there's they book these things called mileage runs. Have you heard of that? No. Because you know about getting status with an airline, like silver, gold. Right. If you fly so often. Yeah, then yeah. Then, right, yeah. So what they'll do is if they're come close to the end of the year, when they have to get 20, 30, or usually probably for these guys, like 75 or 100,000 miles, they'll just plan these incredibly circuitous routes. They'll be like, and they'll post it on these message boards. They're like, 
They'd be like, just to get the yeah, miles? New York to San Francisco, 11 stops. Start out in New York, fly to Raleigh, Raleigh to Jacksonville, Jacksonville to. Why would you put yourself to Norman, that? Oklahoma? To get, to get a free, just to get another free airplane ticket? So next time my flight will be direct and it'll be free. But I did spend three days. Well, they want from... the status. They want the. Soul. Oh, right. Like okay. It's a class thing. It is a class. Yeah. See, air, see, this is why I think an episode about airplanes would be very interesting because in, in airplanes, you have a very transparently regimented status system in a way that in America, we usually try to deny these types of things exist. But it's totally uh, it's totally classist, you know, first class coach, all these things, you know, different statuses in a way that like the subway is not like that. Right. You know. Taxis aren't like that. I think it's very interesting. It is, but you got to get you got to get flown first class. You have a TV show. It might be I, a, I think that might be a union rule that they have to fly you. Oh, really? Yeah. You have you have an agent, right? Yeah, I do. Would you do this yourself? <laughs> I do. We shot it in my house, and I had to buy the cameras, and uh, I had to pay for the. They gave me a hundred dollars. Yeah. That's a good right. budget, right? Yeah. Did um yeah? So you should first do the class. the air flying one will be. So good. do you fly first class? Rarely, occasionally I get bumped up, but I I've only bought one first class ticket in my life. So on the days when you're not flying first class, do you miss it? I mean, that's what I think would be, or do you? Well, I think I fly it so infrequently that it's it not a few times a year. Okay, so it's not like your default, and then when it doesn't happen, you're enraged. Yeah, I mean, I've also my longest, super long flights, like to Australia, I've flown oh, either like man. business or premium economy. Right, but, I guess that makes sense. But if I went to like Japan and had to fly coach, I'd probably lose my mind. Well. When we flew to China, we flew coach, obviously, and that was, I remember that being physically draining, because I'm 6'2", six, six and that can be hard. They, I, oh, you know what? You'll be proud of me. I did start asking for something. I said, if possible, I would love an exit row. Huh? <laughs> it's not bad, right? These are all things that you should not even be, I mean, I know that that's impressive. Right. I'm happy, I am proud of you. But when you book the ticket, you just go, uh, and can you put in my number? All right, I'll do that. Or if, you can if we, it yourself if, you, if you're racked with guilt, but that's what they do. If we get picked up for a second season, I'm going to get so many frequent flyer miles, it's going to be sick. There's no travel agent who's booking a ticket for you and going, oh my God, this guy wants me to add his free Well, that's what I'm worried about. I was so worried about the being... the president of the network. Right. No, no, if you ask for some stupid, like a purple car or something to pick you up, but you're a frequent flyer. You know number. I literally own a purple car. Is that why you said that? Do you that? really? Yeah, my Honda is purple. Oh my God. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just have that. I heard that's vibe. the best way to not get your car stolen is to pick a crazy color. It also made it cheaper to buy because it's such an unappealing color. I guess it reduced the value of the car. Did they just think, oh, this purple's really happening? Watch <laughs> this. Let's make a ten thousand of these. Ooh. Exactly. Wow. So yeah, get your miles. You get my miles. <clears throat> What's some other showbiz advice? Um, How do you know when you can ask for something? You know what I mean? I mean, what is your internal radar of knowing like, okay, this is an appropriate ask or this will make me come across as kind of an entitled douche? I don't think there's anything I want. I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty low maintenance as far as stuff like that. Like, okay. I don't ask for some crazy shit. Like, I don't even know what to put on a rider. I just, I don't give me some water, and bowl of nuts. I don't know. Right. I actually feel guilty about that kind of thing. But things like, you know, rides. I'll do a rock club and I'll ask them to pick me up at the airport. Which I'm sure some people wouldn't do that, but they usually do it and they're happy to do it. Yeah, of course, that's good because they get. It's probably somebody who works and gets to spend time with you, right? That's the re that's how I sell it. 
Right. You is get 20 any, minutes with me. Does your, does no your bar barred. back want to have a, ask me some comedy questions? Exactly. Well, here's when I land. <laughs> does your aspiring comic bar back? Need career, like a one-on-one career seminar? So you're going to go home and you're going to log on to all these accounts. Is it worth doing given the, I mean, yeah. okay, I'm totally, totally going to do it. And I will absolutely do it. You also have to think ahead because it's such an easy thing to get it in there. That even if it's like, oh, it's a short flight, those add up. You never were. Each series gets picked up. Maybe they fly you to Australia. Cha- right. Cha-ching. Money. It's free money. Wow, I got all fired up when this topic came. <laughs> well, David, when's your show on? It's on Mondays, 10 o'clock? Mondays, 10 o'clock on the East Coast on Nat Geo. And I think you can buy episodes on Amazon now if you don't have a TV. What about iTunes? I think you can buy it on iTunes at the end of the season. I'm acting like I have a stock in iTunes. What about my, my company that I own? It's a good company. Well, thanks for being here, Dave. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. I appreciate it. Sure. All righty. That was David Reese, everyone. I've got a lot of new tour dates starting in uh, August. Where am I going? Got four shows at Caroline's. Use code Todd B to save $5. Then I go to the Midwest, St. Louis, Kansas City, Omaha, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Never been there. Fargo, North Dakota. Bismarck, North Dakota. Yes, two shows in North Dakota. I've never been there. Then I go to Helium in Buffalo, the 28th through 30th. In September, I have Cobbs in San Francisco, the 19th and 20th. Then in um, October, I'm going to go to Stockholm, Amsterdam, Dublin, and some other European cities will be added. So check those out. Check out all those shows everywhere I'm playing, no matter what it costs you to fly there. And follow me on Twitter at Todd Barry. Feral Audio are the people who bring this podcast to you. And uh, check them out, feralaudio.com. Thanks a lot, everyone. See you soon. This is firefighter Raphael Poirette for Firehouse Subs. Introducing the new spicy Cajun chicken sub, Cajun seasoned grilled chicken breast, zesty cherry peppers, and house-made Cajun mayo. Just $5.55 for a medium. Remember, a portion of every sub you buy helps provide life-saving equipment for first responders. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Limited time only, plus tax. Participating locations. Firehouse Subs would donate a minimum of $1 million in 2019 to the Firehouse Subs Public Safety Foundation by donating 0.11% of every purchase.